Hello, and welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas into what it means to live as a follower of Jesus in the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Hey, and thanks for listening in to the Future Christian Podcast. My name is Lauren Richmond Jr., and I'm pleased to be joined by Justin Bulls and Paul Romig Lovett. So, hello. Hey, Lauren. Hi. <laughs> hey. Um, so, I'm fortunate to know these uh, two guys. One, Justin Bulls, uh, almost worked for me. <laughs> so close. We got so And uh, the, yeah, the other, Paul Romig Lovett, uh, works for me and my church as our worship leader at Mission Gathering Christian Church Thornton. So hello. And uh, so I wanted to let you youth both talk and uh, tell your story. So I don't know who wants to go first. Justin, you want to go take it? I'll go first. Take it away. Um, and I'll try to be concise. Uh, it's, it's a concise story, but essentially um, I was raised in a, a really uh, conservative Christian family family. Uh, who was very musical. We sang all the time. We were kind of the, the local Von Trapp family everywhere we went and, and we would put on little concerts and we would sing in church and things like that. So I think I was always on a trajectory to do something musical, um, but never really considered leading worship in a church um, until I was in high school and lived in a tiny little small town. And I was the only one who played for the youth group or did anything musical. Um, and that, that just kind of, that led me on this path um, to Colorado Christian university where I studied, uh, uh, music ministry and met Paul. Um, and that was about 10,000 years ago. The, most of the world was still covered in ice <laughs> at that point. Um, and yeah. uh, went from there and had, I had actually a really wonderful experience. I wouldn't go there now, but I, uh, I loved my time at CCU. Um, and then basically since then I've, I've done nothing but full-time worship leading in a, a wide variety of contexts from, uh, really conservative evangelical mega churches to tiny little urban church plants, um, and uh, just it's been an incredible journey. I've met so many amazing people and and connected with so many people along the way. And my journey, spiritually speaking, had um, almost right after leaving college, I was getting cracks in the dam in terms of you know the faith that I had grown up with, um, and so navigating how to become a more mature pastor and a better musician and a better worship leader while also going through a now decades long deconstruction and reconstruction of my, my faith has been um, mm -hmm. kind of the, the hallmark of, of my, my journey. Um, but it's allowed me to stay connected to uh, people like Paul and it's allowed me to meet people like you, Lauren. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't change much about, uh, what I've experienced. So I'm currently now serving three churches um, every weekend. A um, one of those small urban church plants downtown called Belong. It's a United Methodist. Yep. Um, and then I also um, serve a large evangelical mega church in uh, Highlands Ranch and a large United Methodist church in Highlands Ranch, um, doing Saturday night and Sunday morning worship for them. So uh, wow. I stay great. you're a you're a busy guy then. <laughs> yeah, too busy. Sure. Go ahead, Paul. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Justin is definitely, we, we get together somewhat regularly 
and we are definitely part of the same tribe. He is my people, um, and I am his people. Um, because we have been, uh, like he said before, we both went to school at Colorado Christian University and it was beautiful relationships that started there and where we kind of started doing worship ministry and learning about worship ministry. Um, and since that time, I, I, I went on to, you know, work for different churches around the Denver metro area. Um, but also traveling, um, the country with a, an evangelism ministry called dare to share in which I wrote and directed and produced like sketch, sketch comedy and one act plays that were, um, really, uh, contextually within the evangelical movement, kind of that portion of history where there was a lot of these big conferences that were really about, um, converting people and training people in apologetics and all that kind of stuff, but they would really would emphasize oh, on drama. Oh. Yeah. I gotta say, I found that book again in my truck, so I need to have you sign it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I did, yeah, end of, I did write, write a book. Um, uh, no joke is very strange. I'm still, uh, get little writing projects for them. I just finished a writing project for them, uh, this week. And, um, so it's strange that I straddle the, the 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 two different worlds of being both a progressive Christian uh, that started after I left college and uh, was doing my deconstruction, and then went through a you know a good two nice little burnouts um, with church. Um, along the way, I started a nonprofit called Torn Curtain Arts um, that, in the beginning, just allowed me to. Uh, write and direct and produce that kind of stuff. And then back in 20, at the end of 2017, I uh, was starting to talk with my friend, uh, Brian Davis, who's another worship leader in um, in Denver. And we started seeing that there was a big trend um, in worship leaders and in artists and creatives in the church, just leaving in droves uh, and just kind of done entirely with church. And there's probably around 40 million of us, um, depending on which study you read, um, between 30 and 40 million in the U.S. And uh, I just think that uh, I'm fine if people want to leave the church. Actually, I think there's probably a lot more people who should leave the church. <laughs> I know that's a, that's a strange thing to say, Whoa. but, yeah. uh, but, uh, and I can contextualize that a little bit later. Um, but there is, uh, a lot of people who think they need to and don't need to, um, they don't yeah, have to go away. Uh, and, and so I want to help with Brian and I help worship leaders and churches try and negotiate that, um, that tricky area of deconstruction and reconstruction uh, as, as churches uh, continue to evolve and mature. And uh, so right now we help about six churches um, and we have two. So Brian and I lead worship and then we have two other worship leaders that lead worship um, for us at different churches. Um, and that's been a really exciting uh, change in recently where we, we get to pour into these worship leaders who are making those changes and want to see uh, churches become healthier and treat their artists better and all that kind of stuff. So that's an exciting thing that I get to do. And then, uh, yeah, I run a video company to uh, helping churches with media production, but that's my story. <laughs> awesome. Tell me, uh, Justin, maybe you want to go first here. 
what you you alluded to it a little bit. Like, what does it mean to be a Christian now? It might be different than your growing up, for instance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think when I was a Christian, it, it, when I was younger, um, it was all about the you know believing the right things, presenting yourself the right way, being correct. Yeah. Um, on on yeah. you know having the right answer. Um, towing the line, like it didn't feel like towing the line. It didn't feel like this almost cultish adherence to to the you know, <laughs> these, yeah these fundamentals. But that's absolutely what it was. And and there was just this lack of of being able to feel um, to be authentic to to really use your you know to ask questions. And so what that was what being a Christian was then it was an, it was very much just a, a complete identity the music you listened to the words that you used the people you hung out with where you shopped that that was what, what being a Christian was now gosh I see in terms of my own spirituality what I see Christianity is um, it, it is is it just a, a fundamental guiding force that informs the way that I move through the world but absolutely does not dictate um, the way I move through the world and it informs a, maybe a deeper expression of myself, a deeper, more authentic expression of, of me. Um, yeah. And a reinforcement of who I believe I've been called to be rather than this like outside mold that I'm trying to fill. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Paul, yeah. same question. Um, so let's see, would you rephrase that again? Uh, ask that again one more time. Yeah. Just like, what is it? Is there anything different? What does Christianity maybe mean differently to you than what it did in your past? Oh, man, I don't even know if it could be uh, – if I would recognize myself um, <laughs> yeah. as a Christian, you know, ten even 10 years ago. Um, but the way I feel now is I probably have more fidelity with an Orthodox Christian tradition than I did in the past um, in that uh, I, I, I believe – at some point it was um, the Christianity of my youth was about intellectual ascent. um, And it was also about sin management. Um, That's kind of what made me a Christian. And so uh, it it was a set of beliefs or doctrines that I, that I, I sort of ascribed to. And then therefore worship leading was about um, a a chance to sing our beliefs back to us, um, (laughs) which was a, which was kind of how it is. And it's still largely structured that way. Um, Now uh, there is this, when I went through um, different places of my wilderness uh, experience, uh, I think that is where everybody's faith is actually created in the wilderness is the place in which they've reached the end of their own um, religious identity. And they go, this is it. This is like, I, I, I can't do this anymore. Um, and then moving forward. And I think then what comes for, what comes out of that for me is um, I have this never ending sense of wonder and curiosity. And um, I feel like I, I, I could cry at any moment um, <laughs> just because it's, it's just kind of like, it's, it's all of the things it's, it's both beautiful and painful. It's like, I think it's eternal life um, is what is what I'm I'm getting access to. Wow. 
and I'm just going to say this. I mentioned this before we started recording, and I'm going to say it again because the moment Paul used the phrase intellectual ascent, we realized why I'm going first and Paul's going second <laughs> because it's like I'm, it's like uh, I'm in a room with Neil deGrasse Tyson and I'm just the, uh, the sitcom biology teacher who is uh, doing my best to, to hold court. I love the way you talk about everything, Paul. So <laughs> I'm just going to – I'll say my piece and then I'll let you like – like uh, put flesh. Yeah, I'm with you. It'll make sense. Justin, what spiritual practices have you developed that you'd maybe recommend to others? Um, Spiritual practices is is challenging for me right now. I think um, I've not nearly, I've never been very disciplined. Back when I was a fundamentalist, um, I was always feeling guilt because I wasn't, you know, reading the Bible and praying and and doing the, the basic things that you're supposed to in that and I don't know if I fully moved into a, a world where I'm able to like replace spiritual disciplines with something new in this, in this new form uh, of spirituality that I'm, I'm living in long, long, short, long, long answer short um, with, with, you know, three young children and three jobs. I don't do much. For yeah. I hear parts. you. I hear it's you. Like, I would love to. I mean, I, I've talked to folks who, you know, meditation has changed their life and like, there's all kinds of wonderful things that I would love to be doing, but on a, on a very practical level, like I, I have, I, I personally connect with, with, with God through the music and through the creating that I do as part of my, my work. And then sometimes when I get to do it on my, on my own for fun, but um, I'm, I'm woefully, woefully behind on, in terms of spiritual practices, especially in terms of recommending to others. So, um, and, and one last thing before I stop rambling, I'm, I'm in a context right now where, um, at, at Belong Church, the spiritual practices are very much outward, uh, outward access. So if any, if anything that I've come, you know, I've brushed up against in the last couple of years, it's been an extraordinary amount of outward service of, of serving others, of doing things, of doing justice work, of doing uh, compassion work um, in the streets, things like that. Um, but again, that doesn't take the place of like kind of inner soul work that needs to happen. And probably because I'm extremely burnt out currently, I'm having trouble coming up with a good answer for you. <laughs> Hmm. Well, I'll cut you some slack, Justin. I know I was talking about this with my spiritual director some months ago and I'm, you know, pre COVID even. And I'm just like, you know, is there something else I could be doing? And she was just like, you know, Lauren, you have two, two young kids, you know, a busy home life. And she's like, I just don't want to put another thing on you. And I, to me, that's one of the gifts of a more expansive progressive understanding of Christianity that Mm -hmm. I don't have to have this kind of performative, like check mark, cross check mark all the boxes to feel like i'm being a good christian yeah so well good thank you yeah yeah thanks for sharing (laughs) that though i hope it's helpful for others to hear let's jump into what i'm i'm excited to talk to you both about worship leading you both have a lot of experience worship leading in the evangelical context and now you both find yourselves in mainline Protestant context and i didn't know this justin you're you're working in two mainline churches essentially um, yeah. Paul's work. So Justin works for two churches in the United Methodist uh, Church, United Methodist Church, right? That's what they call That's, themselves. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Current, currently. I mean, it's, it's about yeah. to change. <laughs> right. 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 Uh, Paul is working technically for a church that's within the Christian church, Disciples of Christ tradition. And I want to know, like, what is different? And feel free to jump in 
uh, first whoever wants to. What's different about worship leading in a mainline Christian context versus like an evangelical context? Paul, you want to take this one first? Um, yeah, I, I will. I'll do my best. Um, what I notice. Okay, so in terms of the style of music, um, there's m- not much difference um, that is happening. It's sort of the orientation around the worship that seems to be the most different, um, where uh, it's almost the way I think about, um, to some degree, the way people think about politics, that you've got the small government people and the, and the big government people. <laughs> yeah. You know, you have the, and the small government people are just kind of like, you could go, they could go rogue at any moment. There's really kind of no... Um, consistency and you know i'm saying on the extremes there's obviously uh this is a spectrum that i'm talking about right right um but in the extremes like any church can be named whatever it needs to be named and you have to go in and you kind (laughs) of have to see what sort of context you step into um and uh and figure out how to um lead worship and it's true like i'm leading worship you know at mission gathering but sometimes at a very conservative uh christian church out in like franktown and um it's it's things where you avoid um certain terminology or certain songs and you include them in in other places so um say for example um in mission gathering where there's probably we we have sort of um we really veer away toward anything that has um, yeah. hints of sort of a substitutionary atonement mm-hmm. sort of theology. And in, in an evangelical context, it's kind of nothing but substitutionary. Nothing but the blood. Yes. Nothing but the blood. It's, it's, you know, it's pain. <laughs> it's all this. And um, now there is, there are songs that cover, you know, both. And it's just, it just takes a little bit of extra, uh, work and attention, but there's more than enough music. So I, I think that's what I would say is the, probably the biggest difference. Justin, what do you see? Again, you're kind of in this context where, yeah. how do you, I mean, my question would be like, how do you keep your head straight? And maybe it sounds like that's a challenge, I guess, going back it, and forth yeah. so often in these, you know, you're at Belong, then you're at, um, you know, the Evangel Church, and then you're at uh, is it St. Andrews? Am I allowed to say that? St. Andrews. Yeah, 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 absolutely. They would, they would claim me. I'm, I'm yeah. not sure I want to use the name of the other church, but yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so, so for a long time, what I felt the difference was, 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 as, I don't want to, I don't want to oppose what Paul said, but I think, I think a, a different way of looking at it is that um, I have noticed a very, a very distinct stylistic difference in mm. terms of like, the worship language of say like the early 2000s, the late 2000s as, as Hillstone kind of developed the, like the style that everyone was copying yeah. and like, and I think for a, a really long time, and I think this is still true in the evangelical world, if, if worship music doesn't sound a certain way, it's, it, it, it is not able to connect with people emotionally. People don't even really perceive it as like, well, that's not yeah. the right. Yeah. That's not how how worship music is supposed to sound. Oh, it doesn't that's make me so interesting. It yeah. doesn't make me feel the right way. Um, so, and I think let me. I'll interrupt real quick and say, like, oh, I was talking do. to a mainline pastor, one of my good friends in ministry, and someone, one of their congregants, came to them and said, "Hey, worship doesn't feel like I don't remember the language they use, but basically worshipy enough." And I think like that's what they're. Yes. I told them, I said, I think that's that's what they're 
hinting at it doesn't feel like that music vibe that you're talking about so go back to that well so because i think we have we have intertwined we have we have conflated emotional connection with a style which is which is so hilarious because we've been so critical of baby boomers and and older folks who connect their emotional their emotional connection is directly tied to him traditionally the, the sound of the organ sound of the choir the, the specific voices of the inversions on the piano like for certain chords like yeah, yeah. they need that sound in order to feel connected like oh this is my song this is my music and we're doing yeah. the same thing now where um thankfully i feel like the last five to, to eight years we've really started to break out of this kind of this monolithic worship music style there's people doing some really fascinating stuff in terms of infusing gospel and country and roots music into into worship finally i think we're finally breaking out of this like similar paradigm but if you go to like a really large church in town they're all going to sound exactly the same um, right and so what, I, what and and then mainline churches on the flip side are either going to be really really amateur uh, uh, attempts at this big church music really amateur yeah. <laughs> yeah or they do something really well like they do um you know the 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 organ and the choir really well or they just do really bad music and something that i found fascinating and and this is no shade towards the methodist church um because i they, they've been such a, a wonderful warm home for me but when i play um, a song by the brilliance or a, a song by Ren collective or something, something that feels modern, but yet demonstrates some, it feels musical to folks. Um, people are gobsmacked. Um, I, I, I can, I can bring just the slightest of my evangelical background in terms of this is how you play a song. This is how you connect emotionally. This is how you make it feel authentic and then do a cool style that feels relevant to people, but it's also demonstrating a little bit of musicality that doesn't exist in the Methodist church by and large. Um, The Methodist church is so into um, this kind of this high art, this high church thing, but then they can't really afford people who do it well. And so it's like this, this, this poor, gosh, this feels really critical, but it, it, especially the smaller Methodist churches, they're just getting by on playing music that, that is indecipherable from the music they would have played 70 years ago. And so right. someone with the evangelical background comes in and just a tiny bit of sensibilities of like, this is what's happening in the broader church world. Right. They can't get enough of it, which is why right. I'm, I'm constantly, constantly feeling offers from Methodist churches to come do this meeting or this conference or this gathering um, because they're, they're starting, it's such a novel idea for them. So I've seen this this vast chasm in terms of purely in terms of style between um, a contemporary evangelical setting that I have come out of and this smaller um, progressive mainline. And, and I think that, that speaks to all kinds of things. It speaks to tradition, but it also speaks to budgets. And a lot of these tr- mainline churches are smaller and they don't place a value on the, the experience of musical worship because a lot of them also refer to, you know, the whole service is worship, right? Yes, so, yeah. Um, for Methodists, leading worship means, oh, I'm reading the invocation, or I'm leading a prayer time, or I'm reading scripture. You know, mm-hmm. it was jarring for me the first couple of years because they were like, oh, and so and so is leading worship today, and I was like, excuse me, <laughs> and they're like, yeah, they're doing they're doing the scripture reading, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah. So I'm I'm reframing all of that, but also there has there is not this Methodists love music and they love singing, but they also don't, um, they 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 
they, there will be sometimes a vast majority of Methodist churches will have a part-time music director who will do the choir and then bells and play the organ. Um, and so, I, but I also really resonate with what Paul said about, about theology. That's also another very important thing to, to consider and observe as you go between these, these spaces of, of finding language that feels authentic and not singing things that make you cringe too much. Um, and the way that I balance that is, it, it, well, I can go into that later of how I balance um, kind of going between and among and through those different settings, as I'm sure Paul has language around uh, how his process as well. Yeah, yeah. let's mm -hmm. come back to that. But I love what you say about, uh, first of all, I think that's a huge uh, philosophical difference. You point about the whole service in mainline context being understood mm -hmm. as worship where, uh, and you all can correct me here yeah. if I'm wrong, but the music being understood as worship in many evangelical contexts, yeah? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and then I think it's interesting um, – it, at Mission Gathering Christian Church here in Thornton, where Paul and I serve together, we kind of have a, we kind of seek to bring in an evangelical style of worship. But by and large, the vast majority of churches in the tradition we come from, or I come from at least, the Christian Church Steps of Christ, have a very similar kind of liturgy, is the word we'd call it, or or worship style that you experience, I think, in many of these other uh, traditional Methodist churches. So. Like everything you said, I think a lot of uh, mainline pastors would be resonating with kind of they've felt yeah, those kind and of challenges. I also want to point out the, the fact that Justin, early on in what you were saying, is actually there is really um, a, a shift sonically and, and emotionally how people hear certain arrangements chords styles mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff that is much more related to identity yeah. in ways that they can't articulate that's great um, and so and that is uh that was mind-blowing for me i think you're so right on um and how it takes so much intentionality not to just go into it with your own assumptions uh, because that's what right. I do. I mean, I came into the, the mainline sort of world with all of my assumptions of evangelical worship leading, you know, and I go, this is how I know how to do it. And I just do it until somebody <laughs> says you made a mistake. And I go, right. okay, I'll fix that, you know, but um, that is something that just goes on, on, unexamined. And I would even say there's something in, oh, maybe I'll, I'll save this, but no, well, I'll, I'll say it um, is go for the, it is the um the different kinds of worship at least that we see throughout scripture you know when we talk about the whole context of the the, the worship service being worship you know and that's important but even within um i would guess we'd call creative expressions or artistic expressions of worship it's very narrow what we get within church right now we don't see for the most part a space for lamentation which is a vast majority uh, not vast majority, but a big portion of scriptures worship yeah, yeah. is lamentation. And um, there is the, I, I think, who is it? Who is it? Is it Brueggemann who put the sort of the three categories of worship? There's orientation, reorientation, and then lamentation. Um, <laughs> and so churches mostly focus on orientation, which is like, God, you're so great. The universe is awesome. This is, this is amazing. Then reorientation is I fell from, you know, I sinned or I, I'm broken and you saved me. You brought me out of the depths. 
And the, but the lamentation piece is so elusive and it, it's quite honestly, it's uncomfortable. It, it involves suffering. Um, but it's the one thing we've neglected. And my hunch is what it means to lead worship in a progressive uh, way in the future will be how do we incorporate lamentation? Because we are facing a time, an unprecedented time, obviously, right now within COVID and also the, the racial unrest is that we are grieving and we don't know how to grieve and we don't know how to hold tension from with all the beauty and the brokenness together. And I think that may be the call of the worship leader uh, going forward uh, is to f help actually lead people, not just in singing, but lead people in worship in these, mm. in these ways. So, yeah, I'm sorry. That was just my rant and it was no, inspired, I, inspired what that was so said. good. I love the way y'all are feeding off each other and kind of, uh, yeah, that's great. Tell me um, what is something like, do you think that evangelical, or let me ask this vice versa. What is something like mainline or progressive churches could learn from evangelical churches in regards to worship? Hmm. I, I mean, I really see kind of that emotional connection as a, as a piece that um, a mainline church could use a lot more of um, what it's, 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 it's something about, what evangelicalism has tapped into in terms of, and I'm, and I'm talking about like the best of the best, you know, the highest quality of, of they've got the lights just right. They've got the lasers and like, the fog and the fog machines. Like Bethel and, elevation type stuff. Right. Yeah. Exactly. They've got that concert. Um, they've created a, a concert experience um, that, that, that unlocks for some people uh, an emotional engagement um, that you just can't achieve in a in a stark room with wooden pews and the lights on um and a portable sound system you know like we're up against so many uh problems in smaller churches even just terms of practical and mechanisms but also in terms of um people not not feeling like you know it, classic uh, dichotomy of there's the head over here and there's the heart over here and evangelical worship is so far skewed towards the heart and the emotion side yeah. and mainline worship tends to be skewed so far towards the intellectual and the, yep. the theological side um, and I would I would love to bring and what I try to do is bring that emotional expression that freedom into more progressive spaces um, some of that evangelical vibe of, you know, not being afraid to just like emote when singing and not being afraid. To... Um, and, and I feel like that makes a huge impact for folks um, and, and to model that. And, and, and often I will feel like I'm the only person in the room uh, who is doing that, but I would love, I would love to get whatever that juju is, you know, from like that, that feels yeah. good when you walk into new life. And you hear, you know, you, you just, you're enveloped by the sound and you see people engaging. Whatever that is, I think that has a place in mainline worship. I just don't know how we get there without all the trappings of, you know, a million dollar sound system and a carefully tuned room. You know, I think there are ways to do it. People are so conditioned to expect all of, all of the things and to only bring a few of the things um, and try to recreate that experience has, has, has proven really challenging for me. Well, those are some great observations. I mean, I'd say like as someone who grew up independent Baptist, like it was still a pretty sterile environment that I grew up in. 
like emotionally, but even I mm. noticed like like a starvation at times for more emotionality in worship. Um, but I also, but I also like the same challenge you talk about of like the limitations of what's available within our context. And then like, is that enough? Because there has been kind of the set expectation for people like that. This is what church is like. It's all the above. Mm-hmm. So Paul, go ahead on that same question. Um, I would really agree with Justin actually, which is about, um, the, the heart element, um, and, and the emotion, which is, which is the thing that I've always been sort of almost to some degree kind of pigeonholed in. I've always talked about like, Oh, Paul is just so passionate, you know? (laughs) And then, um, it gets into my head and I almost become a caricature of myself within that, um, that environment. And, um, so, uh, um, it's hard. It's, it's really hard for me because I'm a real, I'm a performer. So I'm trying to figure out what to do to um, make the experience most engaging. And um, yeah, I, I, I feel like in to some degree, the, the mainline church kind of looks at the success of the, the evangelical big models, you know, the, the, the elevation, the Bethel and all that kind of stuff and makes some of these assumptions that the evangelical church was making of like Willow Creek back in the early nineties. With scorn. Yeah. Yeah. It's with scorn, but also like secretly wanting all of that. You know, it's just in, you know, it's, uh, it's their alter ego that was like, well, maybe if we could just get those things, we could just, then we'd see what the people we'd, we'd have more people we'd who, who would come and, and enjoy it. And missing the entire point because the, the in in the the small context that we have, Lauren at Mission Gathering, we have tried to to find ways to add technology appropriately, and it's challenging because every time you add it, add one thing, one element, you add a new layer of complexity, and then it changes the um, the experience for everybody. So yeah, if you you add a a bigger soundboard with more channels you're going to use those channels and then if you and that changes the the way the music sounds you'll get a bigger band you'll get you know, put more lights in there how many two lights three lights that are every every element changes what you do what you present and i think it changes you intrinsically uh it has me so much so now that what i'm drawn to is everything away from the big experience every i'm so distracted if i walk into a room because i understand that the expectation if the lights are dark that there's an expectation on me there's there's a place there's a role that i have to play in this room and um not and it's basically like look at like watch observe uh whatever happening on stage that's the most important thing um the things that i'm really drawn to are um, performances, artists who use the space as it's given and find a way to embody that in a, in a wise way, in a, I, I would say in a human way, because then it's like um, you get the authenticity of emotion, the intellectual, like your mind is engaged at the same time. Um, and, and I think that really takes into consideration the whole human which is what I'm interested in. I'm, I'm really interested in how whole human transforms. Um, yeah. 
become something new. Now, you, you've kind of both touched on two things that I think are, again, we've kind of alluded to this, are like mainliners often find uncomfortable, the idea of emotionality and performance. Mm-hmm. And I think that's interesting because like as, as a preacher, like I would say in, like, in a sense I'm performing, and I think many pastors and preachers would say the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, like we're trying to – like I'm not just getting up there just to talk – at least maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe others would disagree with me. Uh, but I also think back about like the traditions that at least like the, the United Methodist church, as I understand your history, Justin, I don't know how you've had to study the history of the Methodists. Right. And the same way the Christian church came from a very emotionally kind of evangelical background. Sure. Uh, but now it's become like a, at least in the fifties and the sixties, the, the real Haiti of these mainline denominations, it was like a really um, upper middle class intellectual, uh, at least in the cities, churches, a lot of the mainline or the Methodists and the Christian church churches in the smaller towns were very kind of, I think, kind of average goer. But how does that affect like, yeah, how does that, how does that affect all this? Hmm. And yeah. I don't know. <laughs> right, right. I, I, I think. I mean, to go back to what I alluded to earlier about, um, kind of moving between contexts. I think what what has emerged for me as I approach forty, and I've been doing this essentially full time for almost twenty years, is learning how to. Not to separate myself, but to definitely compartmentalize. So. For example, you know, when you're learning to lead worship and you're in these contexts and especially conservative places, the, the line that everyone uses, I mean, there's books about it that you have to read, is if, is if you are not personally connected with God and your personal worship is not overflowing out of you, then you have no business leading others. Yeah, um, right. Yeah. I want to call, a, I wanna call a, a yes and an absolute BS on that because totally. – um, I lead from an empty place 85% of the time. And, yeah. and I have seen my calling develop much. It's, it's modulated from much less of a, hey, I'm so mature and I'm so connected and I'm so spiritual that I'm going to impart. I'm going to, I'm going to let you guys have a piece of this. And I'm going wow. to like, yeah. I'm, going to, I'm going to share myself with you. And I'm going to, you, aren't you lucky because I am an anointed worship leader. And because I'm here, you're going to have a different experience than if I wasn't here. I mean, it's just so arrogant. I have modulated from that, from the, to this idea of I am, I am a servant of, of whatever congregation is before me, whatever group of people, whether it's a, whether it's a, a youth yeah. for Christ conference or whether it's a group of Methodists or whether it's a group of, of 70 year old conservative evangelicals. Um, I, I feel like I've been given the gift of, of, of seeing of understanding what it is that what it is that connects them to God, what it is that connects them to their tradition and their emotions and their theology and their their at least their perception of who God is, mm-hmm. and gives them that. I know we're called to challenge people and I know we're called to 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 lead people, but I also I I've, I don't always feel like that's my role in a particular context. I feel mm-hmm. like my role is to connect people with God, and I feel like I've been able to move into a season where I'm able to do that in a very authentic way. Um, some people would call it selling mm-hmm. out. I think I I just call it um, 
I, I'm able to get a read on, oh, these people, what, what moves them is hearing their songs in their style yeah. with a little bit of an Elton John flourish. Yeah. Like, and I can do that. I can <laughs> get... It's great. Um, oh, and yeah. That's what I do on, sun, on Sunday mornings in Littleton. I go down there and I play four. I play All Fly Away and In the Garden. And these songs yeah. that I, I'm inwardly going, this, this, I can connect to the divine through the beauty of this music and through right. the beauty of the melodies. But like, I, I, sing, I sing words that just make me cringe. But I know I'm not being called in this moment to transform this person's uh, penal substitutionary atonement theology. Like I'm called to connect them to, to, to God. And so I, I'm able to move through these, these different environments stylistically and theologically um, fairly easily because I've been doing it for so long and because I was able to let go of this, of this expectation that, um, or this man, this mantle of responsibility that I, 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 I have, I have this anointing that I'm going to, to, I'm going to be the same everywhere and they're going to be blessed by me, you know? Wow. Yeah. Can I, can I stop right there and just go to the talk about the words? Cause I know that's what many mainline or progressive folks would say about like praise and worship music, whatever we want to call it. Like the words is something they'd have a problem with. And conversely, <laughs> like many mainline churches have like changed words from old hymns um, our friends in the United Church of Christ have done that with a, a hymnal. I don't know if y'all have seen it from about 20, 25 years ago. What are your thoughts on that? Like, cause again, I, I love what you're saying, Justin, about like they're connecting with something about that music, not necessarily that those individual words. Well, how does that relate? I think to what many progressive folks say about the words and in, in uh, evangelical worship music. Paul, do you want to take this or should I keep rambling? Um, yeah, I mean, I have something that's sort of, it, it is related and I want to draw a connection, Justin, between what you just said and go for um, it. And this, and this, and this idea, uh, uh, you said something that's so important about leading from empty. That is, uh, I think maybe really critical to, to worship lead and critical discovery because then it, it shifts you to like um, into this serving and loving um, a person from where they are. Um, and uh, I mean, one thing that comes to mind is actually this, um, I've got a 10 year old daughter who um, not so much, well, yeah, actually still this year, this is sort of still into rocks seeing beautiful rocks you know <laughs> love it when we yeah. go on a trail or whatever and and there's no, there's no inherent value in these rocks they're on a trail they're under, like they're not gems they're not jewels they're not something that's objectively like people are, are are measuring but she notices a texture or a kind of change in a color or the smoothness and it's just beauty in, in intrinsically beautiful to her but yeah. the thing is what my relationship is with that is I end up being the one holding that. <laughs> yeah. You know, she's picking up rocks and then she's just like, here, now I don't have any boxes to hold this or I have too many things and you hold it. And, and I was thinking, uh, I was talking with somebody about this and I thought, actually, I think that's really what love is in many ways is holding something the people you love think is beautiful, holding it, just holding it for them. It doesn't mm. have to be yours. 
It's not, I mean, wow. and I don't even have to find beauty in it, but I, I love her and I just hold it because, you know, parents just hold stuff for their kids. They just hold, oh, and I think we do that for the church. And so the words aren't right. So, so, uh, so it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that you actually believe what you're singing. And I think it's so anathema to the gospel, but it's beautiful. And I'm trying to see its beauty in you. And what it means for me to love you is to hold that thing for you. Um, because here's the thing is somebody in the future is going to look at what I thought and how I believed it meant to be um, authentically uh, um, and devoted to Jesus. And then we're like, can you believe what they did? <laughs> can you believe it? Yeah. And, they, and could they even be Christians? Yeah. And um I think that's what it's very likely it will happen because we do that with every other generation of Christians. Yep. Um, wow. So that's how I would sort of answer that question is you just can't get it right. And you have to be focused on the people rather than like these ideas that we think are set in stone, but they're fluid. They're so fluid. That is so great. Set in stone, bringing it back to the holding the rocks. Nice tie-in. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't even, I was thinking about that. Thank you. Boy, you really explore a metaphor, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. Uh, here, let's just do this real quick. Like, what advice would you have for a pastor? I mean, Justin, you apparently do this often. Paul, same question. What, what advice would you have for someone in a mainline traditional church? Uh, who's trying to liven up their music, but again, kind of the challenges we've talked about, mm-hmm. staff, resources, budget, all that. I mean, I, I mean, and I'm asked this question all the time, you know, in real life. Um, and it's hard because you, you really, you really want to find someone who, who, even if they're not fully bought in, they, they understand um, where you are but they also can understand, um, gosh, they're, they're able to move fluidly through, through various understandings of style and, and ways of connecting. Um, it would be bet. I mean, you almost, you won't find, you won't find contemporary artists in the, um, in a, in a, in a mainline tradition. Like you just, you just, maybe it's, it's changing more. It's slightly changing more, but like if you've got, if you've got someone who grew up in a Methodist church, they're not going to know how to, how to, how to do it. And once in a while, you'll find, you'll find someone who's a, a wonderful performer, you know, uh, they're a singer songwriter and they're out. Um, but, they, but, they, but then even they have trouble coming back into, you know, they were raised Methodist. They go out in the world and they have this great success in the world playing at bars and, and, and concert venues. They, they still have trouble translating their incredible talent into a mold where they can, they can act people in in a worshipful experience it's fascinating to watch because there's just such a disconnect there well worship in my church is is an organ um so to find someone who has has spent time in evangelicalism but who is asking excuse me asking bigger questions than evangelicalism is able to to answer for them and 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 then they're willing to um bend what 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 they do they're 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 aesthetic and their skill set and their understanding of how like emotionally engaging relevant music works they're able to fit that into the mold of well what are the tools i have to work with musically 
Um, what kind of singers, what kind of instrumentation do I have? What kind of sound system am I working with? And then to not be just the kind of person who goes, oh, well, if, you know, if something's missing, we'll just, you know, play a pre-recorded version of it. I think someone who's able to hold everything loosely um, and bring that, bring that aesthetic without like needing all the pieces to be in place and can serve your congregation the way it needs to be served. Oh, I've got one singer. I've got who can play drums every three, you know, once every three weeks. Um, someone who has the kind of the, the humility to, to say, okay, I'll serve this church in a way that feels real to this church. Even though I've, I could, I could do the big church, big stage thing. I'm willing to translate all of that skill and understanding into this context where I am. Um, and, and to do it on like <laughs> for $150 a week, you know, <laughs> right, right. that's, what's really hard. You yeah. have to find someone who really kind of gets it on a, like a meta level, and, but who is still like an intern in college and looking for, you know, some income yeah. on the weekends. That's the biggest challenge. I think. I, I want to just emphasize kind of that point you've spoken to previously, just about that humility um, to not think like you're the whole, you're the whole deal hmm, about yeah. why worship matters. Um, Paul, same question for you. Um, uh, yeah, I would try and summarize it in um, you definitely invest in people before you invest in gear. Um, and uh, the humility, I would say um, find somebody who still knows how to doubt and still has questions um, is not actually super excited about everything that the church does, um, but um, still loves Jesus. Uh, and uh, and I would say, actually, it's more important to find a someone who loves people than even than their love is stronger for music. Um, that mm -hmm. that's a that's a what's a, you get more of a return out of a person like that than you do who has a, because I've seen it a lot where it's like um, churches want to have a great musician, but then that musician doesn't know how to engage anyone else in the team. And so they become um, a real bottleneck for that, that ministry. And the, the ministry can't grow beyond where yeah. that person can go um, personally. So, uh, but also um, make mistakes like uh, I think there's a lot of times where pastors want to protect their Sundays uh, because there's a scarcity mentality. I've got 52 weekends a year, you know, and I've only can, you know, I've got to mm. do this sort of thing. And that, that really shuts down creativity. If you don't think of like um, some, some Sundays you're going to have to fail some Sundays you're gonna, to, in order to try something like it's just yeah, yeah. inevitable that you you're going to have bad Sundays. And that's the challenge in mainline. So many mainline churches is this kind of like scarcity mentality where we've already got so little and so little margin for, for error that like we're afraid to try new things because we're already like leading. We're already acting from a deficit. Right, right. And the yeah. thing is, like, all of your stuff about trying to make it grow, it's not working. You're still declining. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, so either either your your strategy is do more of the same with just more energy harder, or you try, you, you go like, okay, well, we've got to do something radically different because yeah. we're, we're only going to get the same results if we try and do the same thing. So, yeah. 
That's great. Well, let's let's reset for a quick break, and we'll come back, and I'll ask you two just a couple quick questions to close it out. All right, we're back with Paul Romig-Levitt and Justin Bullis. So quick questions here, and we'll close out. Uh, I'll ask you both this. Give me some quick hitting answers. Justin, if you're Pope for a day, what's your big move? <laughs> I think, I mean, I would probably do a lot of the things that the actual Pope is doing. Um, I have so much respect for him um, yeah. and, the, and the way that he is kind of revolutionizing the church from within, not without fault, not without, you know, errors, but yeah. I would really, 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 um, I think the first thing I would attack is people's um, understanding of uh, heaven and hell and eternal conscious torment. And I mm -hmm. feel like, mm -hmm. I feel like an obsession with, uh, you know, substitutionary atonement and eternal conscious torment paints the picture of God that informs absolutely everything else we believe. And yeah. so if I could, if I could work on deconstructing that for folks and planting some seeds, which is what I try to do, kind of all the time anyway, but a Pope would have a significantly more influence. I think that's, that's kind of the bedrock for me of so many problems mm -hmm. in Christianity and in our, in our world mm -hmm. um, is, the, is this misunderstanding of, you know, what happens when we die and why not like I have the answers for that, obviously, yeah, but I think, yeah, I think right. we, I think I definitely know a wrong answer when I see it. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, mm -hmm. That's great. Paul, same question for you. Um, I don't know if they still have the Pope mobile. I know they're, <laughs> just, but I take that to a drive-through for sure. I'd be just like, do you guys still have this thing? Can I drive it? Um, Ice chicken. Yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, man, I have no, that can be your answer, no Paul. Idea. Like that can that be is your my, answer. That's that your is, answer. I was going to say something like yeah. along the lines of that. I think I would probably just allow um, all the, the priests and bishops to get married because seriously it's like i think that could help clear up a lot of stuff oh wow yeah making some waves um all right what's um let's say where can that where can people find out more about y'all oh um i mean i'm not i don't have a lot out there um i'm on you know i'm on facebook I'm on Instagram. Um, I guess kind of the only interesting thing that I'm doing right now is, is traveling around the country with my family during quarantine. Um, so you can follow me at uh, RV having fun yet on Instagram. Oh, um, great. great. Yes. And uh, for, uh, you'll learn more about me, I think, from seeing my photos of my family than you learn about me from pretty much anything else right now. So. Oh, so well, as we're, <laughs> as we're recording this, it's the beginning of July and it'll be hitting around this will hit probably middle of August, something like that. So we might be just square back in the middle of like full on lockdown and people might just be like, Hey, let me, <laughs> let me follow Justin's past travels. Uh, you know, as a way to get out of my own house. Imagine. There you go. So Paul, uh, <laughs> where can people find out more about you? Uh, you can find me on torn curtain arts dot org, uh, where, uh, I, I write and um, along with the other uh, worship leaders and, and creators from Torn Curtain. Uh, and yeah, I'm on the, we're on the 
Twitter and the Instagram and the and the Facebook places. Uh, and uh, you can watch most weeks uh, at mgthornton.org uh, to watch worship leading. That's a good uh, associate. Gathering. That's a good associate pastor job right there, Paul. Plug in yeah, the church. There you go. There you go. So, Justin, you want to plug your your work? Belong, is it? Yeah, absolutely. Belongchurch.org is uh, where you can find us. Um, and uh, we're on Facebook as well. Um, and then I make music on the side uh, under the uh, moniker Vignette. So you can look up uh, Vignette on Spotify and YouTube. And um, we got a couple gnarly nice. tunes up there. Nothing fancy, but I'm trying to be more uh, creative. So yeah, there's a couple ways of keeping tracking me well this this has been a lot of fun and i'm i wish we could go on for another hour but i don't think people would want to listen necessarily but uh we'll have to do this again (laughs) definitely not (laughs) we're gonna have to do this again uh i love talking to people who are passionate about what they do and i think there's so much so much wisdom and experience y'all have to offer uh for many churches out there so really appreciate your time and uh peace be with you during this really challenging time in our, in our, in our lives and in our families, in our world. Yeah. Thank you for, uh, for the invitation, Lauren. All right. Thanks for joining us on the future Christian podcast to learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future Christian.com. But Hey, before you go, do us a favor, subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people. Thanks, and go in peace.